Uh, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got a very distracted crew here of bo- NIA boys. We've got Trung Fan, me, Master Flex himself, Bilal oh. Zaidi, and Jack Butcher. What just happened, Jack? Mate, we're uh, watching Morocco, Spain. <laughs> Spain have missed both their f- first two penalties. Morocco scored both. Okay, all right, we're doing it live, and we also have a very special guest today, Douglas Bonepath. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm very excited today. Dougie. Yo. Well, we got to get it out of the way straight away. Is it Douglas or Doug? What's the story here? Because I feel we're, like we're gotta, there's been some confusion. Douglas. You know, you, you get you get very few cracks in your life to go from, from a Doug to a Douglas or back the other way. I moved to New York in, in 08 and opted to go from Doug to Douglas. And it's a terrible decision. Everyone now asks me which one it is. And that's so much more annoying than anything else. So when you're screwed, from Florida, is this right? You went Florida to New York in 08? Yeah, Florida to the epicenter of hot job market, really hot job market. You rolled yourself into right, dude. Two thousand and eight. Everybody's throwing you job offers. It must have been incredible. Yeah, when you when you look up bad (laughs) bad timing in the in the encyclopedia, it's a picture of my face (laughs) (laughs) on on a plane in New York City. Wait, so I think a lot of uh, listeners and viewers probably know Doug from uh, his shit posting on Twitter, which is uh, A plus. I have to say, Thank you. I'm not gonna lie. Like when I was coming up on Twitter, and uh, I think I started when you were probably sixty or seventy thousand, and I was like under a thousand. I was jealous at how good your tweets were. Like, just I'm just gonna be honest. I'm like, oh, I'm jealous. These but yours, are, really yours good. are just as good, except you know you do the smart <laughs> stuff. You do the smart stuff too, and and I got licked. I no, got but you're beat. very smart beat. threads, dumb right? memes. That was the I'm best very, tagline I've ever had. Visual seen. based, like your the text stuff is like the text. It, it, I also think that's why it, it goes super super viral because I think the text ones usually do the best, right? Like a good text-based tweet. That's what the platform is. It's textual. Memes are great. I love memes. But a good text tweet, it's true to the platform and deserves more virality. It's it's so much more degenerate and sick than anything you just (laughs) said right there because it's it requires you to become addicted to it. And if you can get addicted to it and like figure out the ebbs and flows of like, you know, you start seeing it like the matrix. It it, it makes me sick to say that. Like you you have to... (laughs) Like you get so addicted to it that you literally can like feel and visualize. The pattern matching is so much, right? Like, you know, well, first of all, let's be honest. There's a lot of reposting going on for everyone because you know, something bangs. Yep. You you want that. You're like, I know I'm going to get dopamine hit if I do something 90% similar to what I had done a year ago. Right. I'm not, that's not the ones you should be proud of. Like if I tell a joke and it's purely like a spontaneous, I was in the shower, I connected three things happening around me that aren't necessarily in the spotlight, but it like creates something that, you know, is going to hit. Like those are the ones you feel proud of, right? You're like, all yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> my brain, my brain is worthy. Wait, Wait I think we've got Jack. breaking news. Yeah. You can see uh, Jack, Jack news. It's Don boys, Morocco. Not Morocco oh through. Are my, you serious? That's crazy. That okay. is crazy. Famous, all three. All right, I'm going to hear that first. Well, save two. I'm just, yeah, sir. I'm well, on a delayed stream here on my phone. So. Incredible. Fun incredible. fact, fan, 2016 made a eight-day trip to Morocco. So let me just throw oh, you guys boy. a little suggestion. We want some stories here. Go to the Sahara Desert if you're going to Morocco because you're not, I've been I'm there never too. going back to the region. Dude, I was in Marrakesh for five days. I kept telling my wife, she's like, should we go to the Sahara Desert? I'm like, yeah, we'll be back. Had a kid. We're never going back. <laughs> I'm never going back to the region. <laughs> Ever. Like if you're being honest, right? 
Because uh, you guys would probably play that game. It's like you have these like 30 places you need to go with the missus. There we go. Bilal's got the video up. But the scenes, um, Morocco scenes. Sorry, Trent, go on. Let's, yeah, I'll, I'll put this away now. We're back to... Uh, recommendations. If anybody's planning a Morocco trip, just just go to the Sahara. Add the extra two, three days. You'll regret it for the rest of your life if you don't. And then go, go see the Game of Thrones stuff. They got some great Game of Thrones stuff there. Just so geek it. out over there. Well, I yeah. also want to say uh, welcome back, Jack. You were there out in Miami last week for mm. Art Basel. Mm. We don't need to do a full wrap-up, but I wanted to shout you out because you did your first physical art piece. Um, and if you haven't seen it on Twitter, that was super cool. Could you just give us a little background on it? Yes, I did a collaboration with a guy called Benzi on these... Uh, he collected these eight IBM punch clocks from the between 1910 and 1930 they were made. So they probably would have been hanging in a uh, factory of some description a hundred years ago. And he basically with, um, in collaboration with seven other artists, basically provided the clock as a canvas. So I went down there, worked on it for a few days and just got back uh, from seeing it on display at Scope Art Fair in Miami over the weekend. Very cool. There we go. We got a picture live and direct. There we go. Can you see it, it everyone? What's the, what's the bid we, situation? Uh, auction closes tomorrow, so I have an update next week. Don't be shy. Throw in a That's bid, cool, buddy. That's cool, It looks so sick. It looks very cool. That would look great in the in the, in the Bone Parth Wealth Management office. That's so facts. wait, Doug, the name of your firm is incredible, right? It's Douglas. A, it, yeah. <laughs> Douglas. See? It's Sarah. It's the worst thing ever. Jesus, uh, don't even worry about you, it. Move past it. Has anybody ever called you D-Bone? I'm being honest. Have you Everything. ever been called D-Bone? Dougie Bones, D-Bones, D-Fresh, Dougie Fresh. Dougie Fresh is pretty good. That's good. Dougie is yeah. the only one I don't like. Okay, okay, Dougie, okay. Okay, okay yeah. Dougie, Dougie, ma Dougie makes like me feel yard. like I'm, I'm behind in my academics. It's like, hey, Arnold. <laughs> hey, Arnold, yeah. Wait. All right, so we do want to, like, we've been talking, being distracted for a few minutes, but now the World Cup game is over. So let's give a quick background for people who don't know you. I think Trung was just starting to introduce you there. Uh, yeah. We know you from Twitter. You've got hilarious tweets on there. But like, what what are you actually doing nowadays? Because uh, I know you've been making it rain since 2008, since you got oh to my, New York. Oh, my God. Yeah. So um, at the end of the day, um, I run a wealth management firm that just specializes in basically folks our age. Right. I was one of the first advisors to say, I'm going to work with millennials. Got laughed at for saying that. Why would you want to work with 20 something year olds with no money? That makes zero sense if you're a manager in any wealth management firm. And I'm kind of like, well, we all got like student loan debt. And, you know, these were really smart kids I was surrounding myself with. And I'm like, fuck it. We're going to go all in on our generation. I feel most relatable to them. If we all grow together and succeed, I'm going to, I'm going to crush it. That, that was, Love it, that man. was the long game I wanted to play. Everybody else was playing short games. Like get a rollover, like go get this, go get this boomers money. I'm just like, but if I invest in a 24 year old and they are doing really well in their thirties, I still get another like 20 years to grow with them and they'll never leave. Also, oh, the works. $70 trillion dollar wealth transfer from their parents doesn't hurt either, right? <laughs> so all those like CNBC articles about the greatest wealth transfer, they're, by the way, they're going to blow most of that, no doubt. Okay. Um, well, you, unless they go to Bonafide Wealth Management. If they go to Bonafide, so by, the, <laughs> by the way, Bonafide is the name of a Doug, a Douglas's firm. Incredible, Incredible name. name. Incredible, Incredible Heather, anything good I've ever done, you have to thank my wife for. We okay. we were in the car. We were on the 
we're on the Jersey Turnpike and we knew I was leaving my last Where all the magic happens. Yeah. <laughs> Straight out of the movie, man. You remember, like, I can see the scene right now. She if just you, put her if hands you on like your the leg. Garden State Parkway, you're going to love the Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> and, you know, she, I'm like, we got to think of a name for the firm. And she blurted it out. She was like, bona fide wealth. I was like, no, yes. <laughs> D-Bone. I was going to go with D-Bone. Depot capital advisors. And then in the most narcissistic move of my life, I took a selfie. You know, I needed to do a logo. So I took a selfie of me and I just carved my face out of it and kept the hair and put it over Bonafide Wealth. And, and that was it. And I, I made a big bet on my generation and becoming my clients and what my practice. And I made an even larger bet on my follicles that they wouldn't fall out and cause an entire rebrand of my organization. <laughs> Dude, yeah, damn. That bet has paid off literally handsomely. Well, beautiful hair. Beautiful hair. This quaff. For the listeners, no, no, wait, there's no influencer deal with, you know, per no plus trips to Turkey or head and shoulders. Like, <laughs> yeah, no trips obviously to I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it. Propecia has not sponsored me yet. Dude, Go. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan. I think we're similar age, actually. Uh, don't let my youthful looks fool you. Uh, the graying, I love it when just people embrace it. You know what? Clooney did it. Clooney made it cool. You're I doing it. it so it's not even salt and pepper. It's it's white. Yeah, and it's it's just yeah. it's just white now. You're owning it, it bro. You're owning it. It's weird <laughs> to look at photos of like me at 22 and it's black. Like it's it weirds me out. You're deboning it. Um, okay, amazing. So a uh, wealth management. Sorry, Bilal, I mean, because you have the one question I did have to ask. So, so you did say that you. Sus- I don't know if it's directly or not. The 70 trillion that is supposedly going to be, uh, uh, you know, transferred between generations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, could you actually give us the real details around that? Is that just a fat CNBC number or is there actually, is it more like 20 trillion? A trillion here, a trillion there, before you know it, you're talking real money, right? Yeah. So whether it's 20 trillion just or 70. SBF, you know what yeah, I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to mysteriously disappear. The boomers are, you know, doing what SBF did to his investors. I'm kidding. That's a terrible analogy. Maybe it's, true. Yeah. Maybe it's true. Um, no, it's, whether it's 70 trillion or 20 trillion, I've seen that number fluctuate around in the media quite a bit. And it's probably hitting, you know, somewhere in that 40, 50, True. And either way, these are absolutely insanely large numbers. And right. I think the bigger point is there's more wealth than ever before going from, you know, the generation that has the most of it to a generation that, you know, go look at your st- stats on this. But millennials, it's, it's it's a back and forth story. Are they really doing better uh, or are they not, you know, relative to where their parents are at, at that age? And um, I think we live in a different world. So anyways, we can get into that. But um, that number is probably, you know, the bigger it is, the better the headline and clickbait it is. But I think one one thing is true. There's a lot of wealth going down the pipe. And I don't think it, it's just it is obviously not distributed equally. So more of it concentrated up going to, again, and remain concentrated at the top. Wait, and, and you're in the, does this factor in at all into like your business? When you made that decision though, were you thinking about that or were you actually making that thing that you first said, which is so like, I, I'm just yeah, going to- Yeah, that's an awesome question. There were a lot of things that kind of fell into place given that I made the, the right bet, which was let's go long with, let's go deep investment with our generation at a time where there's not a lot to show for it. And you had to get, you had to get good. So in practice, I had to get good at qualifying the prospect, right? You needed to really be good at figuring out who had that, that glean in their eye right and you can figure it out where they went to school was a big part of it but you know what their earning power is a big part of it but a lot of it's just personality 
Like you, you can figure out who's going to be a rock star and who's going to do maybe just okay, or who's really not going to do all right. Mm. Um, so that, that, that's a huge part of it. I, I think that statistic or like the $70 trillion, I like said, all right, we're going to do millennials. And then it was it was really at a time where the media was just picking up on the term. So it was this golden age of, you know, the millennial narrative coming into focus in mainstream media. And it was by and large negative. I mean, there was there was I remember reading um, an update to the Wall Street Journal style guide that implored those writing at the journal to not be negative about millennials. Oh, like a stuff. That's that's pretty funny. It's, but that's true. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that was literally like, all right, we, you know, and it was well after the whole, you know, bloom of the term millennial. Like I actually thought it was cringy um, to say, I'm going to build a wealth management firm focused on millennials, because I think anyone hearing it for the first time, specifically those in our generation were like, ew, a label, Yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah. very quickly I had to figure out like, um, no, you're not beating this one. You need to join it. Like this, this is actually something you got to go with. Um, and everyone has a label at the end of the day. You think the boomers want to be called boomers? You think, you know, zoomers want to be say, called zoomers? We've been pretty rough on the boomers on this call, man. So like uh, the, we probably need a style guide or have to edit out some of the things we've said about them. <laughs> and I have a style guide? Yeah. Wait, Douglas, I got two follow-up questions. Uh, uh, one's really brief. Uh, uh, so I'll just ask the first one. So what uh, years do you uh, classify as a millennials? What years do they have to be born uh, uh, for you? Yeah, I think we got to go, man, I've been doing this so long and I had to answer these questions every day. I do it by age now. So I think if okay. you're, you know, in your mid twenties into, you know, the older end's easy for me. Like if you're 41, you're, you're, you're on that cusp of older, the oldest of millennials. So my brother just turned four. Yeah. 40, 41 the oldest, right? Then there's this weird zenial thing where people who are confused over being X or millennial. Right. And the the margin of error on the bottom end is pretty pretty broad. I so think it sounds like nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety five, like ballpark. Yeah, that, that's okay. sweet. You can you know you can do give or take you know a couple of years on that and be pretty good. I think the better definition is how good are you at technology? I think like and what social media platforms are you on? Oh, that's a great and where, point. And where your audience exists, how how like very today is that? Like, I think geriatric millennials stand no shot at like having a good TikTok presence, but could crush it on Instagram and Twitter, right? And have your hair totally would destroy TikTok. Facebook. By the way, I'm saying your hair would destroy TikTok. Maybe we should just, maybe I shouldn't even do finance. <laughs> just do like hair TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, one last one, then we can move on to that. So Douglas, this is more about your business. So this is, I think as people will appreciate this and by people, I mean myself. So when you make a bet on millennials, obviously in the wealth management business, you get paid as a percentage of, uh, of assets under management. Yeah, that's one right? way. Yeah. So one way, as you're coming up though, and you alluded to, you're dealing with early career people that don't have assets under management. How did you transition the business? Did you have older clients? Yeah. Did you have other services you're offering? Two, th two things. One, I was particularly good at doing the thing any ma sales manager, or, you know, wealth management manager would want you to do, which is snuggle up with older clients. So I grew up okay. in Boca Raton, Florida, <laughs> you mm. know, otherwise known as God's waiting room. And, you know, <laughs> average age, I think growing up there was 76. So, you know, I believe I served in World War II by the time yeah. I left for you college. You got stories. You got yeah. stories. I, I, yeah. 
yeah, Band of Brothers. I was in that movie. Um, all of those things were very helpful, building kind of like my seed capital or, or the foundation that would allow me. Because you're right, you have you're you're 100 right. How are you going to survive if you just started out right off the bat going for folks who who maybe can't even afford to pay you? Like if you're managing trunk fans money in 2009, I can tell you right now, Bonafide I'm Wealth not doing is well. going to stay in business. Yeah, I'm not doing well. And you could have like a hundred <laughs> trunks, and you're still like going to fail. Um, but that, that was a big concern of mine. So I did have some really good anchor clients. Look, there are plenty of wonderful older clients, boomers, and even older on the books that have been around with me forever. And you tell them like, this is what you're helping me do. I'm never going to not work hard for you, but right. this is where I'm going. Maybe a few were like, screw that. Like, I'm not, I'm not down with millennials. I'm like, all right, thanks for telling me that up front. This, that would have been a problem. Um, and then the second thing is financial planning. The notion that the only way you can earn money in my business is by managing assets is a farce. The gravity, uh, the shift is going the other way to where, and my my own belief, you begin these relationships by giving financial planning and advice, actually putting together roadmaps for people to build their financial lives, improve them or or um, expand them. And you, know, you can price that reasonably um, to where people feel like they're getting value for what it is you're offering at an affordable. I mean, there was a time when I charge $750 for a financial plan. Um, you got four meetings with me, a written deliverable. You could talk to me whenever you want at, you know, some pretty pivotal times informing your, your adult life. Um, today, you know, I don't charge less than $4,000 for that because the complexity and the things that we deal with are, are so much greater. And now we all, and, and now there is there is wealth to manage. There are investments to manage if they choose to do that. It's always optional, right? Uh, oh, not right. But for for us, it is. We, we don't care where you go do that because we always have the planning component. By the way, the robot's not, I mean, maybe someday, but the robot's not taking, you know, the interpersonal relationship away, the relatability I provide or the stories I can share with you from a hundred other households going through the same thing you're going through. Right. Oh, you just had your second kid. You need to sell your house. Your job's bringing you halfway across the country and you just got an RSU grant and you don't know how they work. I I agree, dude. I'll be very honest. I was very cynical uh, about financial planners. Like, you know, that reputation, right? It's like, oh, you're going to give X amount of points. Knowing the financial decisions I've made in the investment market in the last four years, it would have been nice. The reason this show is called Not Investment Advice. Just to be like Trump. Pump the brakes, bro. Just put in the SP 500. What are people you doing? It, yeah, people make it very hard on themselves. They because they're failing to understand that the hard part isn't you know um, what you're investing in or your style of investment. It's actually just getting to the point where you can regularly invest and not be interrupted yes. in that action. That is insanely hard. <laughs> no one talks about it. It's very frustrating for all the you know. Um, you know, all the excitement goes to the casino lights of the market when if you want to know what's really hard, it's having such an incredibly strong foundation that you're resilient uh, in recessionary periods and you can take advantage of them uh, or you can take advantage of the times that are generally ugly for most people. We turn them into, you know, catchy little phrases when there's blood in the street, you know, be greedy when there's blood in the street. Do you know how much discipline is required to take advantage of that opportunity when there's blood? There's blood everywhere. <laughs> Wait, if you walked into a room and there was blood everywhere, you're going to be like, I want a bologna sandwich. I'm chill here. You know, you're going to run the other way. I'd be like, what got murdered in here? So like, you know, we can bring some real sense and, and 
funny kind of anecdotes to it. So that's the hard part. And, and people sleep on it all day long and they're making life harder for themselves. Yeah. And then, so Douglas, thanks for sharing that background. I wanted to give people a sense of what we're going to talk about a little bit later, because um, we, we're going to talk about how you failed to teach your kids about investing, which is obviously your job, which Terrible. is hilarious premise for a segment on a podcast already. Uh, we might talk about crypto and the recession uh, that we're kind of in slash going into deeper next year. Um, but before we do that, there's only one place to start this week because we've all been talking about it and it's been super hype. Uh, it's the OpenAI GPT-3 chat GPT, insert buzzword here, stuff that's been going on. So we want to we get your take on it as well. We just by the way with that pitch. Like, uh, <laughs> we just, I just got a term sheet after you said that. <laughs> yeah, just say it out loud. Play it on a speaker. So yeah, I mean, boys, where do we want to start with this? Because there's there's been so much happening. Um, maybe it'll be good to give a rundown of you know what the main thing that triggered a lot of the kind of taking over twitter in the last week was chat gpt right so uh, i can give it 50,000 foot on open ai yeah let's do that want, let's do that we can go into some examples some right, examples so, perfect uh open ai uh was founded as a non-profit uh, ai research organization by elon musk and sam altman so elon needs no introduction sam altman was a former president of y combinator that was 2015 so uh, Elon has spoken about how he believes that when you mess around with AI, it's summoning the demons. He thinks that artificial general intelligence is a real threat, uh, maybe more so than like climate change and things of that nature. So that was kind of like the driving force behind his investment in uh, open AI. He ended up leaving the company uh, or, or, or kind of separating himself. It looks like they went in different directions. Uh, open AI is no longer a nonprofit. It's a for-profit. <laughs> They probably saw what they're doing. They're like, you know what? <laughs> We're going to be leaving a lot of money on the table here. But investors, which include uh, Microsoft, invested a billion dollars in 2019. Uh, investors are capped at a hundred times return. So I, I just want to throw this out to you guys. <laughs> if you're capping somebody at 100 times return, what are you expecting to return, right? They're probably thinking this thing might be like a 10,000 beggar or something. Like, let, let me talk to you. Before we continue with OpenAI, Let's, we'll pin it in 2019 and we'll throw it to Doug. Douglas, if you're capping somebody at 100 times return, like what is the math that's going in your head as you're running this company? The first thing I think is it's it's just brilliant marketing, right? What ah. an excellent... It's a marketing play. You know, first of all, sky is the, it's new tech, sky is the limit. But if you put a, a ridiculous number to it, it just becomes brilliant marketing because who really knows? You want to, you want to go down the vein of this is the game changer. Life will never be the same with um, artificial intelligence. You know, take your sci fi movie of choice that you want to model, you know, your idea of it after. So brilliant marketing, having at 100x. <laughs> I never Hell thought yeah. of it that way. <laughs> so that means if it does get to 100x, I'm going to, with my investment in OpenAI, I'm going to get 100 bucks. There you go. There you, I didn't realize the round was open at that small of a uh, of a taste. When, <laughs> when you shit post like me, they let you invest. <laughs> well, okay. We'll go back to the story. This so, uh, 2019, Microsoft invested a billion. Uh, so Microsoft had a very interesting relationship. People, when that deal happened, they're like, oh, OpenAI has gone to the dark side, right? It's like uh -oh. you letting one of the big five companies uh, guide where AI might head now. It went from a nonprofit to protect against the potential rampaging of AI to now you have a partner in Microsoft, which today is fine, but 20 years ago, antitrust, big and scary. Um, having said that, go ahead, Jack. Sorry, before you go on, is there an open source aspect to it still? Did that flip? 
Or is that just all in I'm the name? I'm not familiar with the open sources. On, uh, I believe it's completely closed now. As in, like, yeah. they, they will allow people to use it through the API, but they're going to charge for it. And it's clearly been commercialized. There are open source alternatives. Uh, we, we know Stability Diffusion. Our friend Jim O'Shaughnessy is the chairman of that company. That's an open source alternative. Uh, they're doing the images uh, for their AI. Um, well, Jack brought up a great point. It's like, should AI be done in a closed manner or an open manner, right? And uh, open AI is, uh, for all intents and purposes, in a partially closed manner in partnership with one of the biggest tech companies in the world. And Microsoft cuts this deal and they get early access to uh, a lot of the tooling. So, for example, Dolly, which is the image generation that came out over the summer. Let's just fast forward to then. Like, the open AI really kind of picked up steam over the summer. I'm sure all of our listeners and, uh, and viewers probably saw, we talked about it a bunch. Instant image generation. Do uh, you guys remember over the summer that heat? Uh, uh, the excitement is probably comparable to now, except the wording, the text is a little bit. Well, I'll throw it to you guys. I find the text a lot more impressive because there's the. It feels like there's a human involved, right? It feels like there's another soul there. And I don't want to get deep on that, but like the image stuff was cool. I'm like, this is cool. But I've seen image generation before, so I'd like to throw it to you guys. It's like, what was the feeling you had? Over the summer when Dolly came out, where you could basically just write a prompt, get any image you wanted, it was it was huge. People were losing their mind over it versus the last five days with Chat GPT. And so and for people who haven't just really quickly, for people who haven't used it, you you can sign up for free. I think already yeah. a million is it a million people have already signed up? Yeah, it's a million users in five days. It's like uh, five just days. A, just get and it just look feels like a chat, like it feels like yeah. you're chatting with your friend basically. And so you just go back and forth. So yeah, I'll, I'll just say, and bef- just to clarify one thing you guys asked about open source, Elon Musk actually tweeted this, um, responding to Wait But Why a few days ago, because they were talking about OpenAI uh, having access to the Twitter database. And the summary is Elon Musk says, OpenAI was started as open source and nonprofit. Neither of those are still true. So just to clarify that point. Um, and we can come back to the sources of information in a minute um but yeah to answer your quick uh, your question quickly for me it was it was like i don't it sounds kind of hyperbolic but it was one of the first times in a long time that i was like oh wow this is like way better than what i've played around with before and the closest i'd come you know think of something similar in the past which is nowhere near at the same level um was like literally like google assistant i don't know if you guys have ever used google assistant but when it first came out there were these cool videos they made and it was like you can call the dmv uh you can ask them to call the dmv and make an appointment for you and technically apparently that works but i've never used it for that purpose and you could say when's my next flight and it will pull up from gmail and stuff like that and that was quite advanced for uh you know five years ago whenever they started making that product but this was just like next level you it really felt like you could have fun with it you could have a conversation you could ask second and third questions and keep kind of training it and getting it to the next level um and we can share some examples later but yeah what about you guys yeah i i, I agree i agree with the notion that being able to inter almost interact with something on the tech space was fun. I actually didn't have the most amazing experience with Dolly. Um, I thought it was super cool. I did it a number of times. I was trying to figure out, all right, where am I really going to use this other than to play around or, you know, make fun of my fr- dads in the dad's chat, you know, on my phone. Um, and I did that and that was cool. But, you know, beyond that, um, it was, I think just knocking on the door of, okay, I see where this is going in terms of deep faking and doing this at, at a really high level computer generated image level where you could literally get, you know, a, a human by design. 
Um, think of the adult entertainment ramifications of, of this tool. Um, wow. Um, okay. That aside. <laughs> Jack's like, oh, yeah, I've been, uh, I got an Oculus on unrelated note. Oh, you and, know, uh... <laughs> a- AIhub.com, you know, like it, it's going to get, it's going to get weird. If you think it's not going to get there and get weird, you're, you're absolutely kidding yourself. Oh, it's going like, to get so weird. It's going to be that's extremely like, weird. But that's honestly one of the first places it's going to go because it's such a like raw human thing. You know, it's not me being a perv. It's, it's literally like where money and attention goes. Just go look at internet. A third traffic. of the internet, right? A third of the internet. Yeah, is, it's, it's, you know, tied guys, to, yeah. it's tied to that. And if you want the truth of where traffic goes, you know, there's your answer. Um, And then pivoting over to chat, uh, GPT. Here's my idea. Drop the GPT. All right. No, no. Um, <laughs> just call it oh, chat. <laughs> um, I was telling you guys, like I, I went hard on it for five days, writing songs, raps, poems, come, you know, give me 10 excuses of why I need to run out and get beers with the guys. So my wife doesn't get mad at me. It was doing a pretty good job. Um, and then I, I told you guys before, I felt like, you know, the kid dropping Woody. I, I don't want to play with this anymore. And that meant a lot. That actually was interesting because I'm like, huh, I got tired of that real fast um, because I want just like with Dolly and just like I want with chat GPT is I, I, I'm impatient. Like I want to get to the integration of that into workflow systems, applications, entertainment, and all of these things that I actually use on the day to day rather than a tool that I can tinker with. But I also have enough love and appreciation and patience in my older years here um, to realize we, we are at the beginning and she'd probably just have fun with this while you can and hang tight we we've become very very impatient given yeah you know this we have supercomputers in our hands now yeah. so that's, yeah, that's a great point and i think one of the things you just said there kind of resonate with me is like when any of these shiny kind of objects come around you play with it and you kind of get bored after a few days or you you see all the cool examples but then you're like actually how much do i end up using it day to day um, but then I would kind of separate that with what I think you were also saying, which is when it does get integrated, that like there are going to be, this is quite a disruptive technology. And uh, that's where I think a lot of us all who are interested in this stuff are looking more at the potential use cases. And we're thinking like, wow, this is really going to move things forward uh, at a pace we haven't seen before. Um, Jack, I want to ask you a quick question because in our group chat, when we were talking about this in the last few days, you said something about, plumbers and comedians i don't know if you remember saying this <laughs> and uh i always expose jack's dms here but yeah i'm i don't know if you remember that phrase but w- what was it in relation to this that you were saying it something a, like oh, it was that, that's gonna be left search. it was ai hub search that he uh, put in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but oh you're you're muted jack jack you're on mute sorry oh. sorry i i did a tongue-in-cheek meme of the uh G- chat gpt as the midwit killer you know like what it outputs reminds you massively of like corporate emails you know where it's like hello i'm mm, sorry to yeah. inform you that um due to circumstances outside of my control i will not be attending the meeting this afternoon whereas <laughs> kind you know, regards at yeah. the other end of the spectrum just going i'm not coming you know <laughs> So the extrapolation from that to like plumbers and comedians is like the, the, the bell curve, the midwit bell curve, where you're writing a 90 paragraph argument about something that doesn't need to be argued versus on either end of that spectrum, you have obviously ultra creative people in the 
technology programming worlds and you have ultra creative people outside of technology entirely that are fixing infrastructure, doing things that AI is decades and decades and decades from accomplishing because you're going to have to build equipment and make it economically viable to distribute it and maintain it and all that stuff. So I do like <clears throat> the great frame, man. I think yeah, I like why people like had an amazing reaction to it is because uh, the image thing, I don't think there's a commercial, there's a commercial connection in the same way for most people that as the text thing where like this thing is fees, not that far out from being like a customer service replacement for a lot of, um, businesses, right? If you're, if you're, I don't know, uh, e-commerce company shipping goods and you just need to go back and forth with people, that's going to yeah, be integrate and do a great job. There's already companies that that do this sort of stuff, but this seems like it's going to be way better if they yeah, can train it. It's it. like it, it raises a floor on the commodity in yeah. the same way that any technology does, right? It's like things that we used to have to do by hand that are repetitive and dull. That is a moving goalpost as time goes on. Like replying to emails of customer service is like, honestly, in the utopian view, nobody should be spending their life doing that anyway, right? It's kind of a, a waste of human potential. Unfortunately, we're not geared in that way as a collective to be like, oh, let's work a little bit less and be a bit more creative. And we're gonna suck every single like cent out of this thing. And then there's just going to be another repetitive task that someone does that this hasn't caught up to them uh, to do for them yet. And then, I don't know, I have seen all the memes of the exponential, you know, the vertical curve. I think Tim Urban posted something this morning where it's like human progress. We're like one step from the vertical exponential curve. And I think chat GPT and these like, these developments have been the catalyst for people like Tim Urban to... I guess, uh, hypothesize that we are on the, on the cusp of like a vertical exponent. General, general AGI, right? Like artificial yeah, general yeah. intelligence. But then I think, uh, I'm not going to do this justice, but, um, the large language model is by definition, uh, just a re, uh, like a reorganization of knowledge that exists. I think, uh, Nassim Taleb wrote an obviously academic take on why this is not, uh, not, not anything that you should be like running for your life from as like a um, artificial general intelligence. We should try and link that somewhere. But uh, again, beyond my academic understanding, but the LLM as a uh, just like an aggregator of knowledge and people have done great comparisons between Google results and chat GPT, which I think that is a really legit use case for it where let's be honest, Google results now are a joke. You're scrolling past 15 sponsored posts to get the answer for something um, that could have been put in the first result, but the monetization model changes that experience for the user. And then I think that's another thing to challenge for um, OpenAI is does the monetization of this thing make it less user-friendly? Because in the vast majority of cases that is how things get monetized, right? You have to interrupt the user experience to sell somebody something. So we'll see. Wait, Jack, I actually wanted to talk about the LLM stuff, uh, just a bit more explanatory, because I totally missed that because I was distracted as Do I it. always am. You but, are uh, the AI founder on the call here, Trump. <laughs> yeah, so yeah exactly. <laughs> so the, the interesting thing, well, I wanted to just kind of give the 50,000 foot and throw it back to you guys, but 
the large language model, what's interesting about it, and you brought up such a great point, is like uh, the Taleb kind of take of like, eh, maybe don't be too concerned. So this is what I think where we're at. So GPT-3 uh, is apparently when GPT-4 comes out, as you can imagine, GPT-4 will be more powerful than GPT-3. So sometimes the next six months, we'll have Obviously, GPT-4. Obviously, Yeah. So <laughs> that's what I've learned uh, in my in deep uh, AI analysis. But apparently it's a thousand times more powerful than GPT-3. But I had an interesting conversation with uh, somebody else in the space yesterday, and this is what they said. They go, less, uh, so Wikipedia is probably the best aggregation of knowledge in the world right now, right? Just in terms of facts, uh, uh, history, science, all in one place, organized and edited. Yes, there are biases involved in the editing of that uh, database, but probably the best. So Wikipedia helped to train uh, the large language model for OpenAI and GPT-3. But Wikipedia makes up less than 10% of GPT-3. So the point this guy was trying to make is like, we're talking about the best source of information in the world already makes up less than 10% of GPT-3. So it's like garbage in and garbage out, right? So if you have GPT-4 and it has a thousand times more parameters or 10,000 times, it's like, what are you going to fill it with? You've already eaten, you've already ate the entire internet. Poor. You've already ate, yeah. It's, <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, what other data sets are there? That's actually what makes Twitter interesting, right? Twitter has the best real time, like mostly people get angry at each other, but also like the sentiment analysis that's built into Twitter. Right, so right. if you need infinite information to train these models is, so you brought up the point about Google search. So yesterday your boy Trunk T fan tweeted out that uh, Bing should just integrate chat GPT into their search engine, become chat first, uh, because Google has an Achilles heel. Jack nailed it. They have a business model, which is giving you five ads for every search you're doing. And for certain use cases, the chat feedback is a way better result, right? So uh, somebody named Didi tweeted this out. He said, the chat GPT versus Google search debate misses the nuance. For Google, this is the ones they will win. Factual authoritative queries around sports, finance, people, and people. That makes sense because ChatGPT3 actually only goes up to 2021. So you can't ask it anything about SPF and FTX uh, in that case, for example, right? It doesn't have the information. But for ChatGPT, and we've touched on it, it does really well for creative stuff, uh, recipes, essays and coding. So these type of things that are exploratory and you can go back and forth, it does really well. So if you're Bing and Bing does 8 billion of revenue a year, which is pretty crazy actually if you think about it, it's more than Twitter and Snap combined, but that's only 5% of Microsoft's revenue. It's just like, who gives a shit? Just, just pivot the entire thing. You already integrated with OpenAI. That's a chance to be a potential Google killer. But yeah, I just want to tie those two things together. And then actually when I tweeted this out, uh, Elon did the most like, this is pretty funny. He just goes, hmm, you know, like this, hmm. And then the guy, uh, George Hotz, a legendary uh, hacker that's doing a 12-week intern with Twitter, he just wrote, yeah, okay, I'm going to work on this problem. And this is the pitch that he had in this reply. He goes, okay, this is how George wants to integrate uh, GPT-3 into Twitter search. So he's saying, okay, you ask, a, you ask a question on Twitter and then you get replies as if, those individuals are replied like it would reply as if Neil deGrasse Tyson would reply. You know what I mean? So you get replies from a question you ask as if you had the actual people replying. So let me throw that out there. How does that sound as a potential search tool for Twitter? 
and, and Twitter remember has That's, a real time element. Is that pretty cool? Are, are you are you is that accurate the way you're describing that that it's gonna like generate words and put them next to somebody's account that didn't write them? No, no, but no, he's not saying that those accounts will write them. He's saying as if those accounts suggested by like yeah. it will be clearly labeled that they didn't say yeah. that. Twitter search proposal. Imagine posting a tweet asking a question. Search returns what would be replies to that tweet. Easy to ground truth and find uh, what fine tune it. But basically, maybe he won't say Neil deGrasse Tyson, but he'll say like physics expert would say mm, X, mm, Y, Z. Mm, mm, mm. So, I, but I think Twitter. So what I missed with this was that it's not Bing that can do this. Anyone can do that. That doesn't need to cannibalize their search business, right? Like the reason Google wouldn't pivot their entire business to this because they have massive AI and large language models, but they're going to eat. I mean, eighty percent of the revenue, eighty-five is from search. If they tried to pivot their business to have more of these chatty results, they're going to eat into that revenue. Well, let's ask Blah. Blah, what would you think about that? You are Google. You, would you pivot any part of this business, cannibalize your $200 billion in revenue for something that could be a 10-year threat? Well, uh, it's a good question. I, I think you can look at their actions. They've been trying to create an assistant for a long time as well, right? So it's not like they don't believe in this concept. They've been trying to create... a. You know, and honestly, their assistant is way better than like Siri and like the other stuff that was out there before OpenAI stuff came out. So I think their their approach generally has been, where's the attention going to be? How can we create useful stuff that answers the questions the best possible? That's originally what it was supposed to be. Obviously, you can find arguments when you go on a page's five ads, right? Like that's not the best user experience a lot of the time. But even those, those ads technically are designed to reward the most relevant results, right? You get you pay a lot less when you've got relevant results, higher quality score, etc. So I, I wouldn't say that they would replace Google search with it. But if it was like an additional service or there was a certain types of, you know, vertical searches like you described earlier that warranted having more conversational style chat style results um i don't know if that's what you were saying but if that's the case i think they would definitely explore that i think they already no, no, have you're been right. exploring yeah, you know, that's correct and you know what's yeah. interesting is like the maybe this is an off the wall uh, observation but it's like chat gpt is actually more aligned with how people think google works than how it actually works like the way your parents would write a query into google is it's actually more like chat GPT is going to give them the right answer. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Versus like anybody that's na internet native will be like, I'm going to put this query in and maybe I'll get a page that gets close to it. Yeah, versus like, like use phrase match. I'm going to do like advanced search and stuff like that. Yeah. Like my dad's going to write like, um, you know, how many of this, like ask it a question as if he's standing next to somebody, right? As opposed to like this broad search query to get the best page. Um, so I think that's a weird um, just like at a protocol level, it's completely different when you're relying on individual, when you're directing towards individual sources of knowledge versus you are combining, collecting and curating all of that stuff together. So you can ask much more pointed questions. Um, yeah, fascinating yeah. difference in like the psychology of using it. Cause I think yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the, I put the Woody down feeling comes from like, what else am I going to do with this thing? Right. Cause it's all yeah. like this, like, I'm going to copy this thing. I saw yeah. What's yeah, versus of? like what you're using in day to day. And right. Douglas, you were going to say something. Yeah, dude, perfect segue. I can't stop thinking about how we, 
are going to retrain people. Like Google came out and won, you know, they won, you know, everybody knows you Google it. How do you go from, I'm going to Google it to I'm going to chat GPT it, you know? Doesn't, How, doesn't roll off the tongue, You right? get your wife on the verb for that yeah. one, Douglas. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 you know, forget like saying it. How are you actually going to do it, right? And if I'm Google, I'm just like, ha good luck uh, penetrating the market. Like, you know, what we've done here, right? You're literally messing with people's behavior. And I'm worried that if I'm throwing Woody on the ground and I don't want to play it with anymore, that's, that doesn't bode very well for this m- absolutely massive shift that you would need to have take place to really pull people in mass away from a Google into the new thing. Meaning yeah. you have to have something that's not just fun to play with and arguably mind blowing. It did blow my mind a little bit, but I mean, you're waking up every single day plagued by the fact that this new thing exists and you can't, you yeah. know, and yeah, I mean, it's like well, literally in your soul at that point. Like Google is in your soul. Yeah. You know what's a and great that, parallel, actually? Sorry, no. I didn't make this. Like, one thought was, uh, as, as Doug as Douglas was talking, it's like, this is the thought that came in my head. It's like, the smartphone is the perfect unit. I'm sorry. Just like VR glasses are not going to be better than the smartphone, right? Yeah. That's just, uh, to me, that's Famous as good as Famous last words, trunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, people have been trying to knock no, off get smartphones for the past 15 or 20 years. It's just like, it's actually the perfect computing unit as personal as it gets. That's my opinion. Because you can, uh, yeah, famous last words. But what Zuck's trying to do is kind of the challenge that you've alluded to with like taking people in the metaverse wearing the Oculus, right? It's like, cool. Jack's probably tried it too. Played it for a week. It's like, oh, I can see how this could be cool. But at the same time, the behavior that I'm already existing in, I kind of like it. I kind of like being addicted to my phone and just scrolling with my thumbs, right? Right. And and that, that's, and Jack mentioned at the top, actually Douglas, you mentioned at the top, it's like, I'm more interested in when this stuff gets just embedded into our lives, so, into so the here, workflow. Here- I thought of, sorry to interrupt, but I thought of this example. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. I'm cooking this turkey. I go to Google, which turkey recipe? I mean, I know, I know what it's my eighth bird, but I'll always pull up a recipe just to make sure I'm getting the the broad parameters of cooking this thing right. Uh, reminders here and there. What ends up happening? You're in this process of cooking this thing. You're going to your phone every time to find that the recipe you, you used and you forget what, oh, you last visited this site. Oh my God, I visited five five different recipes all at the same time. Which one was it again? What step am I on? You got turkey grease all over your phone because you're knee deep in bird. Why weren't you able to just talk to your phone and be like, all right, I'm at the part of, you know, the oven getting to 350 phone, you know, what's the next step again? And like, that's where it could be like, hey, yeah, you were here and it knows what you said. It knows what you're doing. It's pulling from a thousand recipes or the one you want to use. And it's just now that conversation with this process of cooking something that would have been dope because right now I'm going back to my phone. You know, I've already opened five other tabs between basting it, you know, and carving it and I'm lost again. And it, you know, and I got to do something. So you're absolutely right. So I'm like, show me that, show me that. And like, now you're a help to my life, right? You're just driving the car. Like, Hey, I think there's traffic on the garden state. You know, I'm trying to get to the Holland, you know, what am I doing here? And it starts to talk to me versus looking at ways versus looking at, you know, Google maps where you have to determine, you know, based on the red line, you know, that that's the best route or not the best route to go. 
Well, I was good. I was just going to add to what you guys are saying. It's kind of built off what you just said and previously what um, Trung and Jack were talking about. This is like, first of all, I just want to clarify. I think this has been incredible technology, like I said before. But I think people in our world, tech, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, early adopters, essentially, we get super hyped. Right, we've done this many, many times. Sometimes it's warranted, right? I was hyped about e-commerce in 2002 and it took 20 years for it to catch up, right? Like to really hit the level or 10, 15 years and, you know, add in smartphones, web 2.0, etc. We've also had VR, AR didn't hit the levels yet, 3D printing, web three, like add a bunch of those to the list. I do think AI is here to stay. What, what I'll say is though, specifically to the thing about Google, is people were tweeting out like, oh, Google's dead because of this one thing. And that's kind of what we were just talking about. I'm not saying it's not going to change and challenge it. What I would just say is you guys always talk about distribution, right? This, yeah. These guys have 1 million users. Just to put in perspective, Google has over 4 billion users using Google Search. And Google Assistant alone, the thing that none of us probably use because we're iPhone users, has 500 million people using it in the world, right? So five, because just think how many Disclaimer. Android phones there are. Bilal yeah. Zaidi is a former employee <laughs> yes, it's of true. Google. That's oh true. My. Put, put it up on the screen. No. I'll just say, Bilal, <laughs> Bilal, this is my thumbnail. Google has eight products that have yeah. over a billion users. Did you guys know it's That's really true. cute what OpenAI is doing? Super yeah, cute, yeah. really cute stuff. Try getting to 10 million users. No, but, uh, all the, but what you're saying, Douglas, there, I completely agree, right? Like having... I, I wear my AirPods all the time so much I walked in the shower the other day with them still on because I didn't realize. <laughs> right, like, So that's the level of I've got this implanted in my ear. What I would say is I use an iPhone, right? Siri is terrible, right? And, oh, and awful, I still use dude. it, but... Google, like, um, Google and Amazon actually, like the the Amazon, you know, Alexa, is so much better than Siri. And Siri's just been terrible for so long. I just use it to like call home or something, and like you know, ask the weather or something like that. So the stuff you're talking about that is already quite. It works quite well in Android phones. I though I don't use it because it's not enough of a use case for me to to have the green text essentially. And um, so I would say like that's a lot of the stuff we don't really. We're so used to our own experience right and and like what we're using every day we realize we don't realize there's actually a lot of this stuff is out there and that is actually quite advanced but it hasn't really caught on enough because not enough of us use it sort of thing well, yeah. say, I, not investment I, advice yeah. <laughs> That's the, yeah exactly i wanted to follow Go up on Bilal's i love uh, <laughs> i don't know if people haven't heard all of our episodes i know there's a lot of you haven't done that we've been we've been ribbing Bilal about google every time he talks positive about google i just put the disclaimer I also wore a Google yeah. employee. I also wore a suit to my Google interview, yeah. which is the, the famous the only person meme. ever yeah. to wear a suit to his Google interview. If Doug Bo if Douglas Bonaparte had seen that, he would have been like, "I want you as a client." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sign him up. Sign him up. His kids hired, going I places. I, I, I would have had a great appreciation if it was a three-piece suit. I'm like, Ooh, looks there like, you go. Looks like we're telling other candidates they're not getting <laughs> yeah. hired today. Wait, yeah. I, I, I want to follow up with a couple key points that Bilal has touched on here. So. OpenAI, and to your point about Google Assistant, they're trying their best to make it great, right? There's a couple of things that we need to talk about voice. It's not though. as so, good. I tried yeah, it this morning. Voice, yeah, is, but, voice no. in general is not the right solution, uh, as we've seen. Alexa, uh, they're better. Uh, uh, Alexa and Google are better than Siri. But I think we can you know, understand that voice has just not been what is meant out to be, right? Like, Amazon has spent pitch. 20, 30, 40 billion dollars <laughs> on... Uh, 
I, I'm actually not going to do a picture. No, I, read a very I read a very interesting um, uh, article by Gary Marcus. He's an AI writer. And he just saying why, like, news came up about two weeks ago that Alexa is going to lose $10 billion this year. And the Andy Jassy is like, yeah, we might have to shut this project down. And they brought up a good point. You know how much Zuck is spending on the metaverse, right? A- apparently $200 billion over the next decade. But, like, Amazon has spent 50 to $100 billion on Alexa, right? And I don't use Alexa for anything. I literally use it to set an alarm and like and play when you're music cooking, for my kid. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. That's same. The only thing I've ever seen people use it for is like turn the radio on, that's turn it, the radio right? off. It's yeah, actually exactly. crazy if you think about how much money they put into it and and their hardware sells like crazy, but people just end up using it like as clocks, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's crazy. It's sold, it's sold at cost. But the that's article, a, I mean, that's such a good model. It's for yeah, it. it's a great if people plan. aren't ready to use it, it's just going to get used like the thing that was there exactly. before it. Yeah. So this was the question that Gary Marcus tried to answer. They go, how come with the improvements of these large language models, like you're seeing open AI, how come voice has just sucked so hard? And he makes a great point. Be- and, and this speaks to open AI and chat GPT. You guys probably noticed, Douglas, from your usage of it, the answers are not 100% correct. And G- chat GPT 3 they call it hallucination. It all it's often just literally hallucinates text because the way it writes is it's a probability thing. It just guesses what the next word is going to be. And for some things, it's very correct. But for other times, it literally sounds like a crazy person or it speaks in complete circular manners. So what Gary said was this, the reason why Alexa isn't using like this 10X, like GPT-3 type type stuff is like, if it's 90% of the way there and like you are using it as a consumer and you're given incorrect instructions, you're going to sue the shit out of Amazon. Like the yeah. legal liability for an Amazon to use this or a Google or for an Apple is just so high because I think this is a very important point. I'm going to throw it to you guys. Have you seen the amount of bullshit that comes out of chat GPT? And it's so <laughs> confident in its bullshit, right? Like I've yeah. read some things that are just so wrong, but it's sad. They're so confident. I'm just like, I kind of see where you're coming from. So Douglas, I want to throw it to you. You've been playing with it a lot. Have you seen the bullshit? I mean, as a professional bullshitter, I I kind of feel like... (laughs) Your radar is strong. I kind of feel like it's the brother I never had, right? I think I hired it to be my next associate advisor. Like, go, I was like... (laughs) Hey, can you, can you go sell a financial plan? It said right, right away, little brother. And that's how I, and that's how I knew it was going to be big. No. Um, yeah, no, I did. I did. The more I asked it to do things stylistically, the more I found it was really, I, I once wanted it to write something in the style of JK Rowling and it opened with a Dumbledore quote. And I'm like, don't don't bullshit me. That, <laughs> I know a, my JK Rowling. No, I'm not going to let you get away with a Dumbledore quote and pretend the rib roast recipe is a rib roast recipe in the style of JK Rowling. So the, I'm like, this is a pretty you know, like this is a pretty basic roast recipe. It got that right. But like, I really wanted to see, you know, more of the stylistic part come through. And I and, and that might be a departure from what you're talking about in terms of just the bullshit it's feeding you because it's looking for the next best word. But yeah. it, it also is looking for, I, I think it didn't look for the next bit it looked for a way to satisfy what i what i yes. asked 
in hopes that I would be like, okay, good enough. Like, I didn't think it was necessarily smart enough to know that, you know, um, a rib roast recipe doesn't have enough opportunity to be stylized, you know, like it's the Harry Potter chapter. So I, I kind of sniffed it out maybe in that setting where, all right, it, it's really trying to satisfy me and query and something I'm asking for, but it's actually not doing the thing. I guess that opens up the door to, all right, what, what else is it lying to me about? Or well, what else is it attempting to do that I'm not paying it that that would have me not pay attention to the fact that it's maybe not doing exactly what I want yeah what what the guys that's that's, I love that description I, I just want to say yeah. I love how Douglas said that it's like if it's lying to me about that what, what else, else is it lying, lying about what did you I, I shared with you guys in the group chat do you see um the, what's the founder of Figma's name again uh Dylan uh, Field Dylan Field he shared that thread where he was forcing the chat to talk about its core values or something like that. Do you, did you read that one? No, yeah, I, I did read that. That was amazing. Yeah. That was pretty cool because he, he basically kept responding back like, no, I can't answer that. I'm a large language model or whatever. And he's like, no, override. And he kept doing it and it started answering. And um, again, obviously it doesn't mean that much, but like essentially the values were a lot of like liberal values, probably what you'd sh see in a lot of like Silicon Valley companies and stuff like that. Uh, but I guess the point of that was to say, does this actually have bias potentially down the road? 100%. And stuff like that. And, then, dude, yeah. and, and Trunk, to your point earlier, that's kind of what I, why I mentioned the Google numbers in the first place was because we get these screenshots of, oh, a terrible Google search. And I 100% agree. Like I hate a lot of the Google search results nowadays. Um, and even the assistant I was saying, I was typing in this morning, when's my next flight? And it wasn't returning stuff. And I'm like, you already got access to my Gmail. Like what's happening here? So it doesn't work all the time. But but that's with several billion users, right? So if you're doing that with, you know, as you get from a million to 10 to 100, et cetera, yeah. you're going to see more of these examples. That's one side. The other side is going to get better too because there's more data to, to train the model as well. So yeah, I, my summary of all of that is I don't think it's replacing Google search. I think Google is going to have their own they have you know a very successful strong ai team right and a company that they acquired in this space they're like Be pretty mine. smart ai people there as well um i think open ai is doing great things to move things forward and i think we should celebrate that versus it always being like one's killing another um but yeah i think your idea for microsoft was actually a pretty good one i think the Are one you, you shared daddy yeah bing daddy yeah gone jack what are you gonna say bing is good branding for that because it's like it, it does Bing. actually speak to yeah. the, yeah, you got one yeah. answer, here it is. Um, Here's the branding guy, here we go. go. <laughs> but I was gonna say like, the one other argument that I've seen or the one other thing that I've seen people asking questions about is this idea of um, homework for kids, where like if you're writing at like 10th grade level, like what happened at this event or, you know, describe this scientific process, I'm curious, how different the output is based on the question and whether there's any way to uh, determine whether or not that came from uh, a chat GPT prompt. But I did see a few people tweeting out like homework assignments at home are basically dead. It's over. Yeah, yeah. I think for those, it works really well. Like I saw someone say, describe like theories of racism in To Kill a Mockingbird and mm. like a four paragraphs or this 500 words or yeah, whatever like we all did day. that at school yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and it would do and honestly for stuff like that even if 
like that is an incredible summary like for someone like me that is so helpful like for anyone but especially me i'm not reading the full book so i'm like i need <laughs> I, I lived on cliff notes for english literature at school still going a you know what i mean so it was it was like for us like that would be perfect but i guess the question i was talking to my in-laws about this because they're like you know a little bit more old school they're lawyers and they appreciate you know the hard work of going through the process mm. and i completely agree right we need to teach people how to um, you know use the tools of our times to do the hard work but if the tools change i'm not still writing by hand i'm using the computer it's right? like and the calculator argument right like yeah exactly. you're not gonna have a calculator when you're at work it's like yeah no, now, yeah you are yeah we, you are and you've got a bit more than a calculator exactly <laughs> yeah yeah so no, um, anyway yeah it's fascinating man that's a good uh, arbitrage <laughs> opportunity kind of, yeah. for an enterprising student as well by the way Start yeah. a uh, homework agency and just oh bang my God. them out with uh, chat. Well, you know, beyond that, bleeding yeah. thing yeah. would be What you got to do, you got to have the, the output and then you got to download that, um, you know, from Torrent or whatever. You got to get the, the program that they used to use to check if it's plagiarized. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's, uh, a real, there's a real easy <laughs> fix for teachers here for kids who are doing this and getting entire book reports or essays. You say, wow, this is fantastic. Tell me about it. And they just yeah. can't do it. Oral, you know, there we honestly, go. We're going back to there oral history. Yeah, yeah, true, you're like, this, yeah. is, this is very well written. I'm glad you paid attention. Tell hey, tell me what your favorite thing was about this. And more than likely, they like they, they just don't no, you yeah, just wrote this great, thing. How do you not know? That, Boom, yeah. You don't even need software. You just literally ask <laughs> just them. Call them what did it. you write? Yeah. And you yeah. went. Well, take and, all and that by the way, if, if they used it and know exactly what it was, then you got you yeah. got to give it to hey, them. Exactly. That's a right. AI what? use case. Trial. There we exactly. go. That was the yeah, transition. That's fantastic. All right. They did it in a very unconventional <laughs> way. They retained it, learned it. What That was your job, right? That's what you want. That was right. the outcome you were looking for as the teacher. You can't control whether they care about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll give you the flip on that. Actually, if you take away the uh, the take home ish part, where let's say everybody gets a Google uh, laptop, uh, no internet connection, you write in a uh, on a Word document or note, right? You answer your question. If you're the teacher now, you can actually run that thing as a teaching aid. So you can actually completely flip it where the teacher's life is made easier. Cause I've seen uh, people using chat GPT to mark papers. Teachers, don't be scared. Ooh. This is an opportunity. Yeah, um, Say, the get last some thing extra time the calculator, in your life. Which is fascinating. It took 20 years for the SAT to accept calculators. So this is like the fight, the, the, the wow. misunderstanding about the homework stuff now, it's gonna take decades to play out cause of how like slow moving the school systems are. Yeah, that's but a the, good point. Like calculators, started getting commercialized in the mid 1970s. It wasn't until 1994 the SAT is like, yeah, hey, we'll start accepting it. Something to fun think about. Fun fact, fun, here yeah, we go. Yeah, fun fact, fan. I think this is an opportunity to transition, Bilal. What do you think? Should we transition? Yeah, I, I do, We're yeah. talking about the future Let's of kids. It. All right, yeah, there we go. Look at that, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> look at that shoe on, that is incredible. <laughs> Wait, can we just take this a moment you, to appreciate how, that? This is how you that do this That was so show? good. Yeah, that was so good. That was, I'm proud of you, mate. That was amazing. Wait, all right, so that was you know, a great way to wrap that up, honestly. I think we can do, honestly, we could be speaking about this for several hours. Uh, we'll probably, we'll definitely have more open our chats we might bring on another guest soon uh, to talk more about it who's working in the space uh, but yeah great transition douglas we get to talk about your stuff now you've been patiently waiting so why don't you tell us about this story with your kids man so your job is to tell people and help people with their investments and their personal finances make a plan what was your approach with the kids and what happened and how old are the kids yeah. So my older daughter, this was just my older daughter, uh, and she just turned seven last week. And this actually has to do with, uh, 
the big birthday gift that she she wanted this year, which was a Nintendo Switch. Um, and as a 90s kid who grew up with a Game Boy and playing Mario and, you know, everything you could get out of the classic NES, SNES era, uh, I'm super stoked for this to be her gift, too. Um, the idea was we would have her save up as much money, you know, tooth fairy money, you know, whatever um, she was collecting dollars or five bucks for here and there. And, you know, I would match her dollar for dollar to get a switch. And I, I knew she would n- get nowhere near what was required. She, got, she actually did well, but, you know, stayed up like 56 bucks over the course of the year. Makes me wonder how my kid got 56 bucks. Um, <laughs> no. So 56 bucks. I knew it wouldn't be enough. These things run $300 and, you know, n- no big deal. We'll get other family members to contribute and what have you. So um, at the last minute, um, her great uncle, my wife's uncle, decided that rich uncle Steve, we just love calling him that. And he's not fantastically wealthy here, but the kids, you know, call him that. It's 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 strange. Anyways, um, rich uncle Steve um decides that he wants to cover the entire cost of the Nintendo Switch and that Hazel can keep the money. And obviously, as her financial advisor of a father, there's a missed opportunity for a teachable moment right there around (laughs) money. And I said, that's not what we're going to do. You can buy it for her, but we got to be a little bit more creative with where that money's going. And we can teach multiple lessons here. We're going to teach charitable, sadaka, right? We're, we're a Jewish household, so we give money. Um, and she's got a place to put that. Um, so $10 for charity, right? Um, and then the rest, I'm like, let's invest it. Let's get that first lesson of investing. We'll have her, you know, it's cliche. Pick a company, you know. I gotta teach Which crypto did you make her buy? What right. was- I, I, she bought. <laughs> She bought a Hello Kitty NFT on Solana. No, just kidding. She didn't do any of this. She... I figured this would be a good opportunity to, you know, teach her about investing at the very least. And I go into this very practical. Like if we come away from it, knowing what a company is or understanding some of the ideas around time value of money, right? Put something away today, get more tomorrow. People do it with the marshmallows. I get, I, I know all these things and we're going to do it. I, I'm, I'm cocky, right? I do that. I've been doing this 20 years, a leader in my profession and I'm like, I could just talk to her like this. She'll, she's my daughter, too. Like, this will not be an issue. So it all happened. Steve, Uncle Steve knows his lines. It's Thanksgiving a few days before. And Steve goes, bring, you know, bring down the money that you saved. And he's like, here's what I'm going to do. He lays out the plan. He's like, but your father is going to tell you about investing. And I was like, I got this. I'm like, so Hazel you like Disney, right? Let's go with something that she likes. So long story short, guys, I start breaking down like what this is in a way that I thought my seven-year-old daughter would know, like things that she likes, like Disney. She plays on her iPad so we could talk about Apple. And I picked like one other public company, maybe it was Hasbro. Like, and you play all of these games. Do you really like them? Do you want them to do well? She's like, why are you asking me this? I'm like, uh uh-oh. Leading question. Leading yeah, question. she's questioning yeah. the question. And I'm like, shit, this is not good. We're already, we're already, you know, off to a bad start here. I was just looking for a yes, like take my lead kid. And that that's also my daughter. She is, she's very, she's just clearly smart, but mischievously so. So this whole conversation started to break down immediately from the start. And, and now the idea of the D, you know, Nintendo Switch is there and where her money's going. She's like, and then it got to, well, what do you mean you're taking my money from me? 
right? It got down to the very essential level of control. Mm. I'm like, oh my God, she's exhibiting actual adult money behaviors in the That's form so of a seven-year-old. I, I thought about this entirely wrong. What have, actually, what have I created here? Like, you know, this is either really, really good or could be really, really bad. And I, I kind of stopped because, you know, dessert was coming out and, you know, the excitement of a Nintendo Switch. My big takeaway here was, you know, number one, utter failure for financial advisor father to teach a very basic lesson to a seven-year-old about, you know, uh, time value of money and investing in what companies are. So maybe wrong place, wrong, you know, wrong place, wrong time to be doing it, I think was, was my number one lesson there. And then two, thinking that children needed, you know, to be sugarcoated a little bit more than actually needed to be done. I think you can be very real with them. Um, and it makes me really think about what I truly thought when they were even younger, when people would ask me, how do you teach money to your kids? And at the time, I really only had like a really, really young child. I think Hazel was two or three, um, just getting to the point of understanding the world around her. And I lean heavily on just making sure your kids understand what this is for. Meaning, So she asked one morning, why does mommy go on the train every, why are you dropping, why do we drop mommy off at the train every morning to go to the city? And I said, hmm, I'm not going to teach her about the finer points of income, right? And, you know, household expenses. It was simply, mommy goes on the train because, do you like what we do on the weekends? Yeah, we have fun. You know, do you, have, do you like all those things? Yeah, those things are great. I'm like, mommy goes on the train so we can do those things. Right? Oh, okay. It right? It, like, it, yeah. The relationship. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So mommy goes away. I think that's work. Do fun stuff. That's pay for stuff. Right. So you can, you know, look how effective that is for a three or four year old just to build that relationship. Now, what I failed at is being proactive and understanding what the next step was for now getting into actual definitional stuff, actual conceptional stuff. So what is the next step? Well, now that you've gone through that, if you're writing a, a bona fide wealth kids book, which I'm sure is coming, is this is this actually coming? Yeah, I think it, we'll probably it. do marriage before we do the kid <laughs> part. I, I can't think of any husband and wife duo doing like millennial marriage and finances. And then that's we'll, a good one. Then that's we'll get good. to. I would have a lot of fun doing like a children's book, like you know, like your twenty-page picture book. But wait, bone parts question: separate accounts or not separate accounts? Let's hit it. Marriage uh, question one hundred and one for both, for not both. me, but um, maybe um, for me. Oper operationally, you should be sharing everything. Should be transparent. All income in one account, all expenses out of one account, and you should not rob people of their independence of having their own checking accounts and ability to do stuff. But if we're talking about real teamwork and real, you know, uh, real trans radical transparency in the household finances, regardless of who's actually doing it. Right. And like one is usually doing the day to day, but to have that transparency and equal ownership, regardless of who's earning more or less, I think uh, creates much better outcomes sure. than everybody being in their silo. Okay. How is that? How is being in your silo the better one? No, fair enough. Fair enough. I know, I know that's uh that would be chapter one, I believe, or maybe even the yeah. prologue. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I think back to the kids, you know, the thing to do here is number one, know your child and how they learn. And you don't start to see that until what I'm seeing now that, you know, my older daughter's finally in public school, start first grade is, is, is what I mean to say. Um, and you can really start to see more of the inner workings of how they uh, are learning things in a more structured way, what they what they 
uh, pay more attention to. And then you can stylize. If you're me, a professional, I have all these ways to teach people, right? But what I didn't know is maybe what I didn't know well enough was how my daughter absorbs information because I, I know how you guys absorb information a lot better than I know how a seven-year-old does, despite her being my child. What, you know, last time I was seven was, you know, 31 years ago. So it's been, it's been a long, long time. So that was, the, that, that was the big takeaway. <laughs> Do you want us to edit that out? Trung, you just was, gave away your age. Trung was doing the quick math yeah. there. There we go. Yeah. You just gave away your age. Are you sure? Do you want us to edit that part out or? Uh, I'm, okay. I'm, yeah, okay. I'm, Look, to say, have boundary, silver, to say 38 and have silver hair, people will probably think I'm lying anyways. Fair enough. Uh, two two follow-up questions. Well, what, one comment was uh, I had a joke that I was sitting on and I wasn't able to pop it, but I want to be like, when you asked your daughter about the iPad, she's like, dad, do you know where they manufacture this? Do you know what's happening in that country right yeah. now? That's correct. <laughs> She's been listening to NIA episodes last week. Are you familiar with the working conditions for this iPad, dad? Uh, so that was more of the, the question I had was, uh, <laughs> no, this is a more financial planning. Trying to go on fire today, mate. Just for yes. to say, you're <laughs> killing it today. No, this is, this, this, is, is, this, is, this is a question I think we can all talk about because we talked about Morgan. You mentioned Morgan Housel. Okay, let me, for the listeners that don't know, very unlikely, but for the people that don't know Morgan Housel, probably one of the two or three most successful authors of the past decade. I think him and James Clear have like a two-person yeah. group chat where they just talk about how sick their book sales two are. Two-person group yeah. chat. <laughs> <laughs> That's called a text yeah, message, mate. mate. I actually <laughs> want to ask Morgan, do you and James just have a two-person group chat where you just talk about every time you hit a next million? So these guys, uh, Atomic Habits from James Clear and uh, and uh, Psychology, Psychology of Money from money. Morgan Housel. So, okay, Doug, Douglas, Douglas, you're friends with Morgan. Uh, you've obviously read this. He will, he will deny. He will deny that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I th that book is me and Jack talk about me and Bilato. It's an incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book. It's a great book. How many people do you give that book to? Do you have favorite lessons from that book? And can you just like crush on how good of a book that is? No, I, it's it's not a great book, and I don't like Morgan. <laughs> um, how how he bamboozled two million people to to buy this. Um, I don't even think the majority of people who buy it uh, are American. So it's very, it's very non, it's a very, yeah, what's a 401k? It's a very <laughs> unpatriotic book, if you ask me. Um, he's going to murder me. No, um, this is a great book because, you know, Morgan not only writes beautifully, um, but he's able to take, you know, these lessons from history. This is what he does very well, right? Take lessons from history, contextualize them to today and show you the human behaviors that make that happen. Now, you know, the bad news is it doesn't matter how good of a book you're reading about money behavior and psychology, you're not the next day going to start making great decisions. The goal of that book is to inspire you and show you there are ways to practically do the reps, right? That it takes to get into good thinking and good behavior. Most people are starting their uh, money journeys at a time when a lot of conditioning has already been set in stone. So you're really spending a great deal of time and energy unwinding what you know, and then building back up what you should be doing. And, and I do this for, you know, years and years and years, decade plus with, with some clients to get them where they need to go. So I can gush about it in the context of, um, you know, I think it's Jason Zweig from uh, Wall Street Journal, prolific writer as well, when it comes to money. Um, you know, he says when it comes to financial writing and I'm going to butcher 
pun intended, I'm going to absolutely demolish, you know, this, I'm going to paraphrase it, I guess, you know, like there's only 12 topics in all of personal finance to talk about. And it's our job as financial writers to figure out how to do that a thousand different ways or, you know, 10,000 different ways. What are the 12 topics? Like off the top of your head, like what are the main ones? Yeah. It's like cash flow, investment, protection, planning, insurance, retirement planning, taxes, education planning, sending kids to college, estate planning, where your stuff goes and who makes decisions around that. At least from a CFP board curriculum, it's six key areas. So whether it's six or 12 and sub points of those things, there's a really very limited. So I could do it. Ready? It's cash management, investment planning, tax planning, estate planning, insurance planning, um, and retirement planning. Those, those are the ones. And education planning for the kiddos. So those six and a half, seven areas make up um, comprehensive financial planning. You, Where does you, buying shit coins turn up in that <laughs> curriculum? Yes, I'm wondering. Yes, money yes. management. Money article, management. Article four under speculation shit coins, I believe. There in we the, go. The That's, they've updated section. it at least. Wait, Douglas, have a great, Douglas, I have a great question for you. Yeah. And I'd love for you to answer this. Uh, I, I, so I've, I've been buying life insurance recently, you know, just to take care of my family. Yeah. So, am I crazy? Or is life insurance like the greatest deal ever? <laughs> so I'm paying like 2000 a year. Yeah. And if I get a couple of insurance. Yeah. 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 So like great deal. Everyone should get life insurance if they have a wife and kid. Like this is a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an immediate, I, I can get down with that claim that if you have <laughs> come up to that level of responsibility, I mean, look, if you're wealthy enough and you can self-insure, then you don't need insurance. It becomes an estate planning tool, but for young families who build in risk of God forbid you were to die. Uh, I mean, think of it very similar. Is your spouse or significant other and family going to be in financial disrepair if you die? Most people are going to say yes. And the more you're the bread earner or producer for the household, the more the answer is a louder yes. So that's a lot of people where finding the most affordable and practical way to mitigate that risk is going to be a really good idea. Enter term life insurance. So it's a really, really straightforward, highly commoditized product that, you know, has been sold forever and ever and is a great way to a sleep well at night knowing you've covered that base you don't have to worry about you know your family you know uh, being in squalor if you die and two um you know being doing something very real um i you know unless you're me and actually have had to deal with putting the claim in for the benefit because someone died um, I, I guess I just have a very, de- yeah, I can, I guess, with some authority say yes. And I used to sell insurance. I don't sell insurance anymore. It was mostly term life insurance for young families starting out because I knew how important that piece was. And I didn't want them going elsewhere to get it. We made no money on doing that. So just to show you how objective I was, it's the other forms of insurance where you actually can, you know, really is make this, some Is money. this well known that a lot of uh, insurers sell term at basically cost just to do the other stuff or is it not really? I think just like with most of financial education and literacy, most people don't know shit. And yeah. it's, it's awful, um, whether that's how a term life insurance policy works or how a stock works versus a bond. Like we're, we're just devoid of a lot of this and I'm working hard to, at, at a professional level, help my clients do that. And at a content creation level, newsletter do it in mass, we need to pump it. We need to pump it. But, so Douglas Bonaparte is pivoting from peer shit posting on Twitter. Can you tell <laughs> us about this pivot? What's yes. the name of your newsletter? And it's what called, are this you- is, yeah, it's called, this is the top. Um, it's on, yeah. 
this is the top. Um, it's on Substack, so you can go to this is the top Um, to get a good look at it. And the truth is, I I wrote eighty weeks in a row from twenty seventeen through twenty nineteen up until the pandemic is where it all all came crashing down. I had to choose between weekly writing and raising, you know, my children and the children and yeah, I guess lucky kids, they won. Um so I was really doing a decent job of expressing uh thoughts around millennial culture, money, parenting finance. I mentioned money. Um, That's what I'd write about on a weekly basis. And it did everything I wanted it to do, right? It drove traffic. It was the top end of my funnel. I got to express myself. I got to get reps in, right? Writing's hard. Like my wife is a prolific writer, like unbelievably talented at it. I cannot tell you how insanely jealous I am of the skill set that she has because it comes from a lifetime of writing. Here's me coming in hot off of like Two year, two years of writing is nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. It, it's it's like that. So um, I devolved into Twitter um, from 2020 <laughs> through, I guess, last week. Um, did a good job scaling a, a a funny meme shit posting account that I try and and turn things upside down and get you to think about stuff I want you to think about in the context of money. But at the end of the day, it's it's really just to entertain and it's my funny bone being able to you know, be shared with everybody. But uh, when I looked at my Google search, uh, you know, I looked at my Google analytics and saw like a 70% drawdown on visits because we weren't doing the things that created thought leadership and drove the traffic. When I've had clients tell me they were so thrilled, I published this first piece because that's the way they found me originally. It's a no brainer. It had nothing to do. And that's what the first piece was about. Um, it had nothing to do with a lawn taking over Twitter and, and, and a fear that I had of Twitter going away. I was, I'm actually bullish on it. Um, believe it or not for everyone that was like, even my wife, like Twitter's going away. I'm like, you couldn't be any more wrong with that thought. And I would explain why, but Now's the time to get back into, into that writing. So I launched This Is The Top. We rebranded it, went over to Substack. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it this week. And I'll publish this tomorrow. So tomorrow, I don't know the timestamp of this. So whenever That's you're listening what, to this. This is coming out tomorrow too. So by the time this comes out, it'll be live. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote a very personal piece on the first go round about you know how I devolved into a Twitter meme lord and got away from um, got away from thought leadership and how really difficult it is to go back the other way. Right. You yeah. know, Doug, Doug tells a joke, a Doug gets one. laughs, dopamine hits. I'll do that all day wrong, all day long. And it was still getting me clients and business and variety and a reputation. Oh, they are arguably very successful things to happen out of it. But when you really peeled back the onion and, and saw what you really wanted from it, um, by the way, you can do both. I'm, I'm going to do both. Right. It's not in replacement of getting, you know, comedy, it's in addition to Chung, you do that really well on a day-to-day basis. So a page out of your book, a real page out of your book, kind of interesting how, you know, we started, followed each other and swapped. There's something to be said there. Um, And then this week I'm going to be talking about uh, recessions. I think what's on everyone's mind, if you're my clients, if you're a worker watching in mass layoffs at tech companies, right? And and hiring freezes galore. It's hard not to think about whether or not that paycheck is going to be there for you in three months, six months, and 12 months from now, depending on how bad things get. 
And I was reflecting on 2000, you know, uh, our experience with a recession. I think I can speak for everybody here when I say yeah, that. Yeah, well, probably well, in the same yeah, time well, frame, technically, right? Well, technically for your geriatric millennials and your older millennials, this is technically our second recession. I believe yeah. we're in one and we're only going to all unanimously agree that it's a recession come, you know, the first half of next year. Um, this is technically our, our first one because- when I was 24 and 25, moving to New York City in 2008, my big downside was, first of all, I thought it was life or death, right? Both my both my wife and I, then college girlfriend and I thought like, we have all this student loan debt. This is life or death. We need to get a job. What was really my downside? Moving back to South Florida, you know, sitting at a pool while I didn't have a job. I at least had a family that loved me and, you know, a bed to sleep in. What was really happening was people losing their jobs, their lives, their businesses, all the horror stories that we can recall. I just was unable to understand what that feels like until where I am in my life right now, which is a couple businesses, a couple kids, mortgages, and risks that we take every day in the context of those things. Um, And the more I thought about it, the more I realized this is really our first recession too. And for my younger clients who really- The point is you have things to lose now. You have things to lose now. And I wanted to be somewhat prescriptive here. You know, recessions are, are really- largely things that we can't control, right? The market, the economy, the, what, what are you going to do to turn the, the market around? You know, what well, are we you going to do? We talked about this, right? We've had, I love your framing around this because I think it's so apt and we've, we've had a couple of pretty dark episodes. We've had a, Bilal, like a year ago, like we have to do a bubble bursting episode. And he was like fully on point to do it. (laughs) And it was like the darkest episode we'd done. Like I felt ill afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I just want to add one comment because Douglas, I think you, I never really thought about the way you did it. It was like, there is like, there's, there's darkness, man. There's like, there's, again, I have the greatest fallback is my supportive family, right? So like, even with that, there is a cloud hanging over every day. <laughs> now, I'm sure we've all kind of experienced, we've talked about it on this podcast every week for the last year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, that is, um, uh, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're pumping. Thanks for allowing me to pump that. So you can, you can all no, read that today, tomorrow when you're listening this. And, and really I wanted to, um, provide the reader, um, with things that you can actually do, um, in an environment where a, the lion's share is out of your control, you know, and it, it just taps right into the financial planner. I figure I'm having this conversation every day with my clients. Let me share that value with everyone who's kind enough to read what I'm writing. Um, in one hand, it felt very basic, you know, as an advisor and how to back to that Jason Zweig thing. How do we make uh, a topic that's been written about a thousand times in personal finance? How do we make that even more relatable to to us? How do we really tap into what the thoughts and feelings are of the millennial generation as we're approaching the first recession in 13 years? And how do we take advantage? You know, a later time, I'll talk about how you really can use it to your advantage once you kind of cover the essential things. Well, I, I want to make sure we plug the newsletter so people, like I will add the link in the show notes so uh, people can sign up to that. Um, but really quickly, I do, you know, the show's called Not Investment Advice, but you're actually a registered, you know, uh, I'm investment so glad advisor. I'm so, essentially. so happy you're bringing this up. I, I find not just that, and it's more than just the name of your show, which, by the way, is brilliant. I love it. But the Thank notion you. of people who, who aren't registered anything's feeling the need to say not investment advice. So funny. Like, you assholes. <laughs> I'm, that's for me, right? That's to save my ass. 
not you. You can say, yeah. you can say whatever the hell you want. You know, it's funny and it's frustrating, right? You could have, you know, you know, bit girl 420 talking about, um, you know, how shitcoin X is what you should be loading up on. There's nothing stopping her, right? I utter even so much as buy a mid cap index fund on Twitter Cuffs. and I've given investment advice. And if someone does it and it goes awry, I actually can find myself sued and that's something crazy. can be done about just it. Move to the, move example. to the Bahamas. Just move to the Bahamas. You'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, your, that's the mistake you made is you're, on the, the, you're on the soil of, 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 of the United of States of America. Just go to the Bahamas, dude. You can do whatever you on want. My, apparently. On my, on my way. <laughs> There we go. Well, listen, man, thanks for coming on the show. We were, I think we covered quite a lot there. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else to wrap up, boys, before we call it and go watch the second game of the day. <laughs> uh, did you guys have any last questions for Douglas? He hit everything I need, I need No, that was amazing, man. Thank you. Oh, thanks, guys, for having me. This was thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah a lot amazing, of fun, man. man. Let us know what you think of this. Appreciate all your support. Um, and yeah this will be out uh, in the morning so we'll share that with you and yeah we'll see you guys on the next episode next week cheers awesome thanks everyone